Hello and welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. Joining me this week to look back on another nil-nil draw are Ewan Beth Robertson, David Forrest and Jamie McDonald. My first question, how shite was that? Welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a weekly podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. Joining me this week to look back at two nil-nil draws are David Forrest. David, how are you? I'm doing well, as well as it can be after watching two miserable nil-nil draws. Jamie McDonald's here. Jamie, how are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, As David said, you know, last three games, not scored a goal after the 6-1 Hamilton game. Bit of a change in the excitement of watching the, the Thistle recently, but... You know, we, we move. Well, we certainly have been brought back down to earth. And rounding off our panel this week, making his debut on the pod, is Ewan Booth-Robertson. Ewan, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I know I kind of pulled out last minute a few times, so I do apologise for that, but thanks for having me on. Not at all. Uh, Ewan, I'll stick with you, and we'll we'll start with Tuesday night at Capelo. We lined up in the 4-4-2 formation again, and Kyle Turner was the only change to the, the starting eleven from the 0-0 draw against Dunfermline in the previous match. What did you make of that starting eleven, and what were your expectations going into that game at Capital on Tuesday night? In terms of starting eleven, I, I think Turner was brought in for his set pieces. Um, I think me and James Carey and I were travelling down to the game, and that's what we kind of thought, because you know, Kyle's got good delivery from, from set pieces, and I don't think, certainly if you watch the game on Saturday, uh, we probably struggled from uh, delivery from corners especially, but yeah, I wasn't really surprised about the, the starting lineup. I understand why, why Kyle came in. Um, it was a little bit peculiar to me when I was watching the game the, the Graham kind of was almost dropping in off running um, almost like a number 10 position at times which I didn't really understand um, in terms of the result I think it was a poor result uh, I think Morton are the worst team in the league um, I think if Fissel have any ambitions to you know to, to have a really successful season then those are the sort of games that you have to win uh, in terms of the game there was nothing really happened other than the, the first couple of minutes when Zach had a chance and then Tiff fired over the bar and then I think we could have lost the game um, in the last couple of minutes. I think it was Lifcoat had a shot good off the line. Um, so all in all, it was a really dismal night. The weather was crap. Um, There's no bike machines uh, in Greenock. Um, so yeah, it wasn't a great night all around. Jamie, Ewan mentioned the weather there. How big an impact did the weather have on the game? I mean, the weather didn't make for good football, but if we blame that, it's just an excuse. It was the same for both teams. The weather was terrible, but you know we had to we had to adapt to it, get used to it. And as I said, it didn't make for great football. It was quite a scrappy game, and for whatever reason, even though that it was incredibly windy, both teams insisted on firing long balls constantly, and that made for even worse football. Didn't really work. It was probably a flat game, and as you had mentioned, apart from that chance that Rodden had, then it fell back to Tiffany. I think I remember one other chance in the second half, maybe that Tiffany blazed over the bar from a corner. 
I think Graham maybe forced a save from the goalkeeper. We really didn't test their keeper much. Lost count of how many times we just put aimless balls into the box, which their keeper just caught very easily, or they just you know just uh, floated out of play, didn't cause any sort of danger to Morton at all. And yeah, it was a pretty bad game to watch, and it made the Dunfermline game look slightly exciting. It was a it was a really poor game. Are you right, Jamie? Um, didn't think we could get much worse than Dunfermline the week previous, but we somehow managed on Tuesday night. David, how was your Tuesday night in Greenock? I went with a couple of uh, Morton supporting friends who hadn't been to football in like a good five, ten years. So I, I had an all right night, but the, the football very much was the the low point of the night. <laughs> the weather was rubbish. The football was rub- rubbish. It was just didn't look like we would we were going to threaten to crack the code and open the goals. We seem to talk quite a lot recently about how if we just get one goal. We'll, you know, we'll go on a run and we'll we'll win by three or four. When we get a goal, we we tend to get more than one and we tend to win quite comprehensively. I think teams have figured us out and they know if they can just shut us out, we we don't have that next level to kind of put us over the edge to get that goal and they can kind of. I don't think we looked too much like we were going to lose the game, but we didn't look like we were going to win the game either. It was it was a pretty dreary game, um, and pretty dreary weather. And, and yeah, it just was not good. I think you've got a point about us struggling if, if we don't get a goal relatively early in a game. And it could be down to just teams maybe sussing us out. We've spoken a few times in the pod about if you keep Tiffany quiet and you nullify some set pieces, there's not too much left on the park that we're really threatening from, especially because all of our attacking threat does seem to come from, from Tiffany beating men and getting balls into the box to Graham and Rudden. Ewan, how do you think Morton nullified us and how did it differ from Dunfermline and Inverness and the games either side of that Morton game? I completely agree with what you all said there. I think sometimes Thistle can be a little bit one-dimensional um, in terms of if you don't really see a kind of pattern of play or, or what we're kind of trying to do. Sometimes it does seem like he's trying to get the ball with Tiffany hope we can beat a man and cut it across the box and then one of our strikers can score. I thought, especially the Morton game and, and certainly, to be honest, Inverness game as well, which we didn't really, I thought we kind of lacked ideas at times. You know, it seems that, you know, if Tiffany has an off day, which I think he did on Saturday, we struggle to, to create chances, um, which isn't great. But you look at that and then conversely, you know, we're still, like, we're joint top scorers in the league with um, Arbroath on, on 23 goals. So, you know, that, that that would indicate that we're not having problems scoring goals, but you know, not scoring three games, I think, is a little bit of a concern. Um, you go to Kelly on on Saturday now, which is a which is a massive game, and I, I just think I think sometimes we lack ideas. I don't really know what's Fissel's style of play. Um, albeit I think we're having a pretty good season so far. I wouldn't really be able to put, put my pinpoint how, how we play football and, and you know how we try and play under McCall. Jamie, I'll come back to you, and we'll we'll take a look at. Saturday's game there at home to Inverness, the, the change to the side was the change that the reverse of the change we made for the Morton game. So Cammy Smith came back into the right hand side of midfield on that four four two. What did you make of, of that change and what were your thoughts about Saturday's game? I wasn't overly surprised with the change. McCall seems to not be a hundred percent sure which one he wants to go with right now, Smith or Turner. He seems to favour Smith because Turner's been out, you know, in and out of the team quite a bit. He's not really managed to since being originally dropped, secure his place back in the starting eleven every week. The the game wasn't great from us. 
thought Inverness were by far the better team. I thought we really rode our luck on points. You know, Inverness hit the post uh, when Walsh had thought that was in. Then they hit the bar and it bounced off the line. And I think Foster then managed to get a block in before they scored. Jamie Stead's also done really well to save the penalty. But as I said, I really think we rode our luck at times in that game. And Inverness, I couldn't have been begrudged if they did leave with the three points because they were the better team. So at the, out of the three 0-0 draws, that's the one that I've got to say is not a bad result because we really went up to it. And Inverness are up the top of the league, so it's not a, it's not a terrible result. But we really weren't great. We looked flat again. It's one of these games where we just can't really get going. So we just give the ball out to Tiffany and expect him to you know, carry us forward and get a goal out of nothing but then he just gets marked out of a game they get two three men on him sometimes he's able to beat them but you know he, he can't just keep doing the same thing when he's you know swerves in and out of like three markers constantly throughout the whole game and he looked absolutely shattered at points during that game in the second half and he had to get subbed off because he was just completely dead after basically doing most of the work probably run did a lot of the work as well up front but he just we just couldn't really create big chances I can't really remember us having any huge chances apart from the goal, which got disallowed. And Smith had that chance, which um, Richards parried wide. Apart from that, we really didn't create much. And uh, it was just another poor performance from us to watch. But, you know, got to give credit to Sned. And I thought he was brilliant in goals. And the penalty save aside, yeah, I thought he was really good throughout the game. And I think his confidence has really increased after that terrible mistake up at Inverness. He's been pretty solid since then. He's kept a lot of clean sheets. And he's good at commanding his box now. I think especially from corners, he's always seems to, I'd say honestly, but eight out of ten corners, most of the time he seems to be catching the ball very confidently and he just he just looks a lot better and a lot more confident and I'm glad to see that. Absolutely. We'll, we'll stick on Snedden just now because I think since since that day up at Inverness, Jamie, he's, he's kept four clean sheets in the league. He's saved two penalties. His performances are improving and as you say, his, his command of his box is good. I think his command of his box has always been pretty good for us. Especially when you consider he's not the biggest goalkeeper. He's quite a young goal, well, he's still quite a young goalkeeper as well, even though he's got fifty appearances under his belt now. Um I, I don't think that's ever really been a problem. It's the decision making, I think, where he's sometimes been caught out. Sometimes he's not the most imposing in one on ones, but he's really making big crucial saves now that are winning his points. David, I'll come back to you. How important has Snedden's form been? And also the back four now. We've maybe criticised the team going forward a bit with three nil-nil draws, but it's also three clean sheets in a row, which is a pretty unusual thing, thing for Partick Thistle in recent years. So how impressed have you been with the, the back four and goalkeeper in recent weeks? I, I've been very, very impressed. I think it was Reese put out that stat today that um, Holt and Akinola have not conceded in like 450 minutes to, when they've been playing together. Um, and, and Forster as well has played the large majority of that as well. And yeah, I mean, I think we, we did kind of wonder at the start of the season about our defensive solidity. We looked a bit brittle at the back and we did concede goals. I mean, the, the Dunfermline game was arguably one of the better things to happen for us at Dunfermline game and that it really exposed our defensive weaknesses and forced us to go out and improve and make it better. Where, like, I mean, Dan and Brownlee isn't even in the team. Dan and Brownlee is arguably our best centre-back and we're still doing OK without him. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, three clean sheets is great for us. I think you know, that certainly it's been many, many years since we had three clean, clean sheets in a row. Because I remember myself put up that stat. But I was thinking today as well that like last season, Snedden and Wright both brought, like, um, equaled the clean sheet record. Five games in a row of clean sheets last season. 
Steden's too away from that. You know, he, he could he could do it again, which just seems a bit weird. I think defensive we are quite solid and we we've got a lot got got rid of a lot of the mistakes that we were doing at the start of the season. They they've they've looked great. Um, definitely, and Snedden has just kept come on leaps and bounds. He looks so much more confident than he did, you know, getting his in fits and bursts um, at the start of the season, like last season as well. He's really came on since that uh, mistake at Inverness, and he's he's grabbed his his chance, and he's he's really ridden with it. I don't even know if we'll have um, Harry Stone uh, for because I think his loan is only until January. Is that right? Or, or there's the option to recall him. I, I, I don't know. No, it'll definitely be an option to recall, yeah. Which I think yeah. he getting activated if he's not getting game time. Definitely. And yeah, and I wouldn't actually be that unhappy if he did go. I mean, Harry Stone's, you know, clearly a very capable keeper and stuff like that. But I have the utmost confidence in Steyn now, where I feel that him with McCready as a backup, I actually quite like McCready as well. But I, I don't think it will be too much of a loss to us if Harry Stone does go away on one. Um, so no, I think they've been. They've been fantastic in three clean sheets in a row. is nothing to be sniffed at, especially against Inverness, um, who you know were runaway leaders for a wee bit. They looked like they were just going on an absolute tear, and we managed to shut them out, which absolutely should be commended. Ewan Snedden's a, a player we've spoken about quite a lot this season, so as this is your first time on, what are your thoughts on him? Have you always been a fan? Are you beginning to get turned round? If not, what are your, your thoughts on Snedden as, as a whole this season and beyond? Yeah, I think he's been in really good form recently and <clears throat> I, I probably wasn't convinced about him uh, last season, even coming into this season. Um, you know, Harry Stones a really highly regarded goalkeeper at Hearts and you know, within the Scotland youth setup. So, you know, I, I fully expected Stone to be number one this season. Um, my concern going into the season was having uh, two goalkeepers who are quite are still relatively young um, and not having that experience head in there, which I know McCall tried to address uh, in the summer window. But Yes, Snedden's been good. I thought he was really, I think you talked about his uh, commanding his area and his, his kind of handling. I was really impressed with that against Morton. I thought he looked really safe under um, the aerial bombardment you often get at Capolo. Um, it's a, I thought it was a brilliant penalty save. And on Saturday, I think he's second in the row because he obviously saved against Ollie Shaw from Kilmarnock uh, a few weeks previously, but then he conceded straight after that in um, bizarre circumstances. But I think Snedden's um, a good number one. I mean, Highstone is a season-long loan. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that Hearts won't be happy that he's, he's not getting any minutes because there's effectively no point in him being on loan in that case. He could be training with um, Craig Gordon every day, which would probably be more beneficial to his um, development. So it'll be interesting to see if this will go for a, maybe a more experienced goalkeeper in, in, in January to if, if, as I expect, Harry Stone will go back to Hearts. Jamie, as we as we touched on earlier, the defence have turned around in recent weeks with three clean sheets in a row. What have you made of them since... Mayo and Akinola formed that central defensive partnership. I think they've been really impressive, to be honest. Akinola just, you know, he does all the basics right. He's, you know, his re- his reach is fantastic. The way he can just, you know, like he just sticks his leg and large, large majority of the times always makes the interception, always makes the tackle. He's very calm as well. Lewis Mayo as well. I think he's been brilliant. He's good in the air. He's actually good with the ball at his feet. He can bring it out, move us off the park a little bit. And considering the fact that, you know, they're both so young, they're both in their early 20s, it might be it's Mayo 20 and Akinola's 21, I think. Uh, but, yeah, for such young, for such a young centre-back pairing, they both act a lot more experienced than they are when, you know, in their game. And I'm really impressed with them, and I'm happy to see that continue. So, you know, hopefully we can get Akinola tied up on a bit of a longer deal, either in January or come the end of the season. But I've been very impressed with both of them, and long may it continue. 
I'm going to ask you all a question and I'm looking for, for one word answers. I think the, the players that have been most spoken about in terms of contracts are Snedden, Rudden and Akinola, who are all up at the end of the season. If you had to offer one a contract this week, which one would you offer? So, David, I'll start with you. A one word answer to that. Snedden, Akinola or Rudden? Oh, um. Snedden. Jamie? Rudden. Ewan? I'll go Akinola then. I think it was probably quite an unfair question because I think they're all pro- they've all shown form this season that warrants them being offered a new deal. But um, I, b- I believe it'll be at the end of this month where they can start speaking to other clubs as they've only got six months left in their deal. So it's it's something I hope the club looks at. We'll move on to look ahead to our, our game down at Rugby Park on Saturday away to Kilmarnock. And, and as the stat didn't make it into last week's edit, I'm, I'm going to pedal it again that after this weekend, we are now one win in 27 games. On weekends, we're an episode of Doctor Who's aired, David. So our nil-nil draw on Saturday extended that run. David, what are you expecting from, from Saturday's game? Are you expecting McCall to stick with the 4-4-2? On paper, Kilmarnock away, probably the toughest assignment of the season. Are you expecting us to go with two strikers? Are you expecting any sort of change to, to combat playing a team like Kilmarnock away from home? And are you hopeful of three points? Well, just because you had mentioned it earlier about how you seem to spot Graham as a as a number ten as opposed to like a second striker quite a bit. I mean, we we were in the hospitality this weekend and they they got Matt to to read the team out and um, uh, with Scally there. I think I think it was uh, your Morton supporting fan. Is that right? Who asked, um, what formation are you playing? And you went, well, it's meant to be a 4-4-2, but it looks more like a 4-2-3-1. And Neil Scally pretty much went, ah, he's right. It, it pretty much is like when, when we're defensively, he's more, Graham's more as a central attacking midfielder than as a striker. Which I was quite surprised at because when you said it, I was like, that doesn't sound right. But then when Scally was confirming it, and now you saying it as well, it does make a lot of sense that that is what we're going. I'm not going to lie, Matt. It's Tommy Wright's Kilmarnock. I've seen enough games of us against St. Johnson to know how this works. It's going to be nil-nil again, isn't it? I, I'm not sure it'll be nil-nil again, but for, for years against Tommy Wright's Kilmarnock, and even this season when we played Kilmarnock at Fur Hill, the first goal is so important. And I know it's important in every football match, but I think it's even more so against Tommy Wright's sides. Um, Ewan, what have you made of Kilmarnock this season? Have you been impressed by them? Not overly, but I've been impressed with the fact that you know, it's a Tommy Wright team and they'll grind out results. You know, they, they won't get beat very often. Um, yeah, they probably were the favourites for the league um, before the season started. The kind of frustrating thing for me, especially, I think the result for us on Saturday was okay in isolation in terms of drawing with Inverness, but it doesn't look so good when you've, you know, I'd say dropped, what, four points against Morton and, and Dunfermline. Um, you know, if you'd won both of those games and, and drawn against Inverness, you'd say it, it was a fantastic return. Um, if you drawn one and won one and drawn Saturday, you say it was an okay return. Whereas, you know, three points, three games isn't as good. I think Fassel would be delighted to go down there and get another nil nil um, against Kilmarnock. And just the way the table looks at the moment, it's kind of in that way where I think Fassel are kind of nine points off the top, but also nine points off the, the relegation playoff play, play. So in a kind of strange position at the moment. And uh, I, think, I don't actually think Kilmarnock are that good. I, I generally don't. 
I can see it's, it's his first laugh though, so I can see see us going down there and uh, and getting something. But I think a point would be a would be a good result. And in terms of the formation, I think I'd maybe be tempted to to pick one of either Graham or Rudden for this game and, and try something a little bit different. And because I think Kamara play a four four two as well with with Ollie Shaw and uh, Scott Robinson up front. So if you if you can go with a three in there and control the midfield battle, then I think that might be a, a good tactic for for Fissel in that game. I'll stick with you, Ewan, for now then, since you, you're looking perhaps for an extra man in midfield. Who would that extra man be? Would you be bringing Turner in and keeping Smith out wide right? How would you line up on Saturday? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that's probably that's probably what I'd go for. I think we're going to play with like a number 10 per se and maybe say have Bannigan and um, Dockett as kind of your pivot and then play one in front or alternatively you could play with one as a pivot and, and two in front. I'd probably go with with Turner uh, as that extra guy. I think he's, he can be quite creative. He's, he can, you know, influence the game from that position. And it's difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, Rudden and Graham have played well together up front as a two at times. And it's the last couple of games. I don't think it's really worked. You know, the fact we've not scored in three games kind of indicates that. And I think your option would be then to, to put someone else wide, um, whether that be Cammy Smith could play there. Um, other than that, yeah, I think it would probably have to be Smith. I wouldn't, I wouldn't start hasty. Um, the other option maybe play Rudden wide, which I, I don't think really works um, as well. Or the other one could be maybe Shea Gordon out wide, which again I don't think really works. So yeah, I'd probably look at Smith playing wide with um, Turner playing as a kind of number ten, or certainly playing with three midfield players. I think that could work. Jamie, what about you? How would you like to see the team line up on Saturday? I actually wouldn't be against that, playing an extra man in midfield, and I agree it would be Kyle Turner for me. If we were going to play Bannigan and Doherty, I can't see them getting dropped, especially to Kamarnock away. I think they've both been pretty good recently as well, so it'd be very harsh to drop them and Turner in front of them. If I had to pick one striker up front, it's, for me it's going to be um, Brian Graham. He's our top scorer. I think he's always got a potential of a goal now. I mean, run does majority of the time, but... Uh, that is probably who I'd pick. I mean, I don't know why Brian Graham's constantly getting subbed off right now. He went from being the man that plays 90 minutes every week to, you know, like going off the pitch for like 25 to play in some games. And some of the McCall subs to me have been very odd. Seems like he just, you know, takes off our biggest goal threat. Seems to like to take off Rudden and Tiffany and, Gra- um, and Graham. And it's a bit odd to me sometimes to bring on someone like McKeever, who's yet to get a goal since coming back to us full time. So. We'll see, but yeah, I wouldn't actually mind us going with a 4 4 1 1. I think that'd be a good lineup. Yeah, a point away to come on, it definitely would not be a bad result. David, a score prediction? I, I think it's going to be 0 0. We'll put the ball in the net and it'll be ruled out because of some. Because we've actually had the ball in the net in the last two games. So um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll get the ball in the net, it'll be ruled out 0 0. Pish and rain. What a time we'll be alive. <laughs> Ewan, score prediction? Yeah, I'll go for 0 0 as well. Uh, I think that'd be a good result down there. Uh, you know, people probably know it's four games without uh, scoring a goal, four goals without conceding, but uh, I think a point away to come on it would, would be a decent result. Jamie, any advance on 0 0? I'm going to say 1 each. I'll raise again. I'll go 2 2. So four draws is the prediction this week. So I, I agree with you, you, and I think a draw would be a good point. And it's just about keeping Kilmarnock in touch and not drifting too far away from the teams at the top, even if we're not gaining ground on them at the moment. The other big story um, from Partick Thistle this week is that fan ownership is set to be completed by June 2022. So I'm just going to come round you all to get your thoughts on that. Are you excited? Are you going to sign up to 
um, the Jags Foundation. How are you feeling about the transition to fan ownership in the next seven or eight months? You and I'll start with you on that one. It's strange that throughout the whole process, when since Thistle Forever has been kind of announced, I've been up and down and and for against it. I mean, fundamentally, I think it's a great opportunity for you know fans to to have a say in how the club's run because also the most important people in the club, and it's an opportunity. It's something that's it's exciting, and I think it's important that you know Thistle fans uh, do get behind it. It's a little bit strange, isn't it? Because when a club's often taken over by its own fans, it's, it comes at a time of great discontent amongst amongst the supporters. And I know there's been over the last couple of years, you know, there's been discontent towards certain people at the club and on the board. But at the moment, it seems that the, the club is very well run. You know, financially, I think it's doing quite well. Um, so it's an interesting time that it's taken over. I think the process has been a little bit protracted and there's probably reasons for that in terms of tax issues and um, et cetera, et cetera. But I wouldn't say I'm overly excited, um, but I think it's a great opportunity. I think it's the it's a great opportunity. It's an exciting opportunity almost for, for supporters. I just hope that you know it's done the right way. That it doesn't become cliquey as I think these things can can tend to do. I hope it you know canvases the opinion of kind of all the fan base across different demographics because because that is important. And I think people's voices are only going to get heard if, if they want them to be heard. So I'd, I'd urge everyone to who's maybe like me and a little bit unsure of all the details and how it's going to work to just kind of ask the questions I'm sure the people involved would, would like to say but you know it's a fantastic opportunity for Thistle fans to have a massive say in how the clubs run I look at Motherwell as the, the prime example of a football club and um, what they do the work in the community they're obviously fan owned and I think that's kind of should be the template for Thistle and there's clubs in Ireland like Bohemians as well so I think it's it's a it's a, it's a time where Thistle fans should be kind of excited about the future David, you've long since been an advocate for fan ownership for the club. How did you feel about the news when it was announced this week that it's it's not too far away? Uh, I was absolutely delighted. I signed up on day one when they, they, they brought it out. It's uh, Again, as Ewan says, you look at a club like Motherwell and all they do in the community, we can absolutely be that. Um, and, you know, if, if we follow a similar model. And, yeah, it's just when I look at other teams, I mean, like obviously with Newcastle being in the the, the headlines with their shady owners and even clubs at Bury and stuff like that where or even like Blackpool the Oystons in, in the past where so many clubs just get they become under the spell of bad owners of people they can't get rid of and the fans are just very uh, disassociated from the club and you know the club is actually really well run at the moment I mean I believe we made a profit during the pandemic somehow despite the fact you know a lot of our revenue sources have been brought down I remember someone bringing the figures out recently we don't have any debt or anything like that. Um, whereas for a lot of people with fan ownership, it's um, a means to an end. It's, you know, our club is in dire trouble. We need someone to pull it in and we need to sort it. We don't have anything like that and we, we have this opportunity. And yeah, I just think with the way you look at things that are going, not just football clubs, to be fair, just other enterprises and things like that, this sort of structure is absolutely something that more clubs should be doing. And again, it gives greater voice in the board because I think at this point, there is, there is a lot of people who are Thistle fans are maybe not as well connected to the board as they'd like. And they do make they do make efforts to try and include people and everything and they've been fantastic with us and stuff like that. But I think this is going to be a bit more democratising and it's very, very exciting for me. I think you both make good points. I think the the club at the moment, I know the some people involved haven't been overly popular with the fans, but I think they've really managed to turn opinion around in the last 18 months during the pandemic, I think. The club off the field for the last 18, 19 
however many months now has, has really been quite close to perfect from a fan's point of view. The engagement, everything they did throughout lockdown, I think has been brilliant. But I agree, David, I think fan ownership long term is, is the way to go just to secure the future. So we'll move on to our Partridge Thistle question this week. So with COP26 taking place in Glasgow, I'm going to ask you, what would you do in or around for Hill or just on your general match day on a Saturday? What would you do to reduce the carbon footprint in for Hill and football stadiums or just yourself on a match day? David, I'll come to you first on that one. This might be a bit too serious of an answer for Patrick Thistle, so I do apologise. But genuinely, I think that um, one great thing that they can do to try and you know reduce it, and it's a proper tangible thing that they can do. If they increase the sort of vegan vegetarian options they have on match day, because to be honest, at the moment it's packets of crisps and some terrible vegan sausage rolls. I'm not vegetarian or vegan, but I'm very conscious about how much meat I eat. I don't actually eat that much at all. And the key is not everyone needs to be vegan. It's just if you if you have one meal where you would have had meat and you choose to have a non-meat option. It spirals from there, and if everyone does it, it comes down. That's generally the way that um, I, my understanding of it from lots of French are vegans and stuff like that. And having those sort of options there, because, I mean, like, I was eating vegan sausage rolls that were cracking, like, 15 years ago. It's not hard. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many things out there they can do, and um, it's just it's just rotten in a moment. And just having that sort of extra options, and, you know, one week somebody just goes, I'll only go for that pie, I'll go for... Uh, what, you know, something else that they've got in the me- in the menu, and doing that that is a, that is a huge thing that they can do. Um, and you know, people can still have their pie, but they might choose something else instead to do that. No, I'm with, I'm totally behind you on that one, David. I can get on board with that. Ewan, what about you? Any thoughts on this one? Uh, make players drive to the games instead of taking a bus. I was as a reference to the, the famous Allah incident. Um, look, I don't know to be honest. <laughs> I, <remember. laughs> I just got that. <laughs> uh, I remember there was being remember when one of the, the fan ownership was kind of released a survey and there was a couple of questions on it about you know how do they make this more green and stuff like that and t- see to me I think it is important uh, for football clubs to be aware of this but I think there's probably more important things um, for the club to be kind of looking at uh, um, moving forward as we kind of prepare for the transfer and shares and stuff like that but anything the club can do um, they, they think is, is feasible and will help is obviously great um, but I, I'm not an expert on this so I, I couldn't possibly uh, comment on that oh, None of us are experts here that's that's the beauty of it um, I think I would just, just simply ban old farm fans from, from the ground whenever we have to play Rangers or Celtic I think that would that would obviously stop three or four thousand people getting in cars buses coming to Fahill and it would also improve improve the match day experience for, for home fans so that would be my solution to uh, make the club a little bit more greener I think as well they should like um, block off the canal path uh, on old firm days, just you know, just to keep the canal in a sort of a good state. You know, if nobody's going there, you know, there'll be a less environmental impact on the canal. So I, I totally agree with that. Old firm fans out. Absolutely. Um, just a couple of things before we finish up. Obviously, myself and David were in hospitality on Saturday. I, I'd like to just thank Graham and everyone involved with that. It was a, a great day we had. Everyone involved, Jamie Sneddon as well, Tommy Taylor, they were all, all looked after, it's all brand new. Um, so if you're ever around for Hill for a, a special day, for Hill Hospitality, the place to go. And uh, Ewan, you're obviously a, a football journalist, sports journalist. Where can folk find you if they want to find your work, find you online, 
do you want to plug some of your work in social media? No, I think my work speaks for itself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, you, can, you can find me on there. Very good. As always, thanks for joining us on Draw, Lose or Draw. We'll be back next week to look ahead to our away trip to air and look back on hopefully not another nil-nil draw down at Rugby Park. You can find us on Twitter at Draw, Lose or Draw and on Facebook. As always, stay safe and buy a season ticket.